Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Friday, April the 14th, 2023. Um, there are two things that we find on this show. We have Far too much of one thing and not enough of another. Uh, what exists in scarcity these days is leadership. And what we have too much of is anxiety. It seems as if the two are connected. We've done so many shows on both, both on how uh, anxiety is undermining ourselves and our relationships, and so much about the crisis of leadership. We don't have enough leaders, and many books uh, have been published over the last few months or years about how to lead, how to rediscover leadership, how to train leaders, how to democratize leadership. My guest today um, is an expert both on Leadership and Anxiety, and she has a new book out, The Anxious, Anx uh, the Anxious Achiever, um, and her name is Maura Ahrens Mele, and she's joining us from just outside uh, Boston today. Uh, Maura, congratulations on the book. It's just out. Two days old. So explain, Maura, in, in your mind, and you also have a very popular uh, podcast show, The um, Anxious uh, Achiever on how you see this relationship between the scarcity of leadership and uh, the abundance, overabundance of anxiety in our, in our society today. It's funny, I, I never thought about it in relationship with the scarcity of leadership, to be honest. Um, I, I don't know that there is a scarcity of leadership. I think there's a scarcity of good leadership. Um, my big point with the anxious achiever is simply to create conversations that allow leaders to be more themselves. It never made sense to me that our mental health is such a powerful factor in how we show up every day as people, as bosses, as colleagues, as employees, and yet we never talk about it. It just never made sense to me that I saw people extremely anxious at work, acting out our anxieties in ways that sometimes don't serve us or the people we work with. And we never talk about it, that leadership books who are always trying to change who we are and help us be better leaders never talk about fundamental emotions like anxiety and the role that anxiety plays in how we are as people and leaders. Maura, do we live in an age of anxiety? It seems as if everyone we have on the show these days is talking about uh, this crisis of anxiety, whether it's amongst teenagers, uh, whether it's amongst executives, whether it's amongst um, the white working class in America. Is everyone these days anxious or has anxiety always existed? And it's just something we're beginning to notice these days. Anxiety has existed since we've existed because it keeps us alive. <laughs> you know, it's it's part of our nervous system's threat appraisal system. And so it is a very necessary emotion. I think that right now we live in a tremendously anxious time. We also are increasingly talking about mental health and integrating it. So it's hard for me to say, 
or the most anxious we've ever been, but 90% of Americans think that we are in a mental health crisis. So I think Americans certainly think that we are perhaps the most anxious we've ever been. And how could we not be actually, you know, we are in a time of a tremendous uncertainty. We've been through a real trauma collectively. And um, most of us have not had a chance to recover or integrate that story. What do you mean we've been through a great trauma? You mean in our history or over the last few years? I mean, with the pandemic, you know, I think that I'm, uh, I'm 46 years old. I came of age in the 90s in the US, which was a time that in retrospect feels almost quaint, although I'm sure it didn't to people then, right? So when we say we're the most anxious generation, then maybe people back then were really anxious than they thought they were. That's sort of how humans are, right? We frame our own references. Um, but the pandemic prof profoundly changed things. I mean, did it not? It was a time for many of us when death seemed right outside our door, potentially, when breathing, the most fundamental thing we do, could be dangerous. We had to change how we school overnight. Many of us, how we work overnight. People on the front lines suffered great trauma. And, um, you know, I, I've read so much about London and Britain during the Blitz. And I can't help but think that the post-Blitz generation felt sim and post-World War II generation felt that same sense of coming out of trauma and thinking, now what? You know? Yeah, I have to admit, I'm I, I I'm not sure I agree with you. I think that um something's changed, clearly. But comparing the Blitz, for example, where London was horribly bombed and tens of thousands of people lost their lives to, to COVID seems a, a little bit of an exaggeration. I wonder whether it's because now with new technologies, we feel as if we have some sort of front row on history. And I'm not suggesting, of course, that I'm not trying to minimize the suffering under COVID. M millions of people died. <laughs> millions? Yeah. I mean, I can Google how many. I'm not comparing it directly. I'm saying that generations go through collective trauma and it affects us. Yeah, I, I take your point, but I, I'm not convinced that the equivalency of the Second World War and COVID works. I, I wonder whether we somehow feel more anxious today for one reason or another. Maybe it's our technology. Maybe it's our lifestyle. Um, and perhaps even comparing the Blitz generation in London with today's post-COVID generation is instructive in the sense that the British, for better or worse, had the, the stiff upper lip and the cheerfulness. Um, in contrast today, I think particularly in America, there's a degree of misery which seems slightly uh, out of sync with the reality of, of many people's lives. I mean, Winston Churchill was depressed he wasn't cheerful. I, I, I wonder if the stiff upper lip and cheerfulness is a, I mean, I didn't live through it, but I, but I, but I, I just want people to think about the effect that living in a macro climate of so much scary, uncertain change does. It makes us anxious because that's what anxiety is about. And I do think technology has a huge role. I think that income inequality and scarcity and the cost of college 
all has a huge role. There are so, and the fact that this country is going through such, all the things that we hear about and read about on the op-ed pages contribute to anxiety, both micro and macro. How could they not? I agree with you about the end result, which is more anxiety. I'm just not convinced that um, that anything is worse today than it ever was. It's just how we perceive it. But le let's get beyond that. So we live in an age where people are profoundly anxious about one thing or another. Um, then let's go back to the issue of, of, of leadership. Um, this, the, the subtitle of your book is Turn Your Biggest Fears uh, into Leadership superpower. So what you seem to be suggesting in the book is that to some people, our age of anxiety and our crisis of leadership exists in parallel, but you're suggesting they can be connected. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that when you understand your anxiety, when you listen to what it's trying to tell you, when you work on responding rather than just sort of reflexively reacting, reacting as so many of us do, it's tremendously helpful for your leadership, right? You build self-awareness, which is often called the number one quality for a leader. You build resiliency and you build empathy, the ability, maybe not while you're in the anxiety because that's very hard, but when you work through it, the ability to understand your own vulnerability and then how other people might be vulnerable too. And I think that those are all tremendously helpful leadership qualities. And, you know, anxiety isn't always our enemy. Sometimes when we're working for something that we really care about, that we feel a lot of stakes towards, we are anxious and that is good. We work hard. We push ourselves. We can't do that all the time, 365 days a year, but that anxiety exists for a reason too. And so I want leaders to think about that. I also want to acknowledge the fact that everyone gets anxious. It's a completely normal emotion. And while never, not everyone has an anxiety disorder that they will get medicine for or treatment or therapy, that being anxious is a normal state for humans and it's part of leadership because you're thrown into a job where you are asked to forge forward and lead people through extremely uncertain scary just, times so so you say everyone is anxious what, what how would you define anxiety then is it worrying is it not being able to sleep is it um not being able to concentrate mm-hmm but at its core, anxiety is a sense that something is about to be wrong, right? It can be an imagined sense, like we feel anxious because we think that our boss is going to fire us, even though we have no data. Or we can be anxious because the last time we were in this meeting with our boss, they were very cruel and it was very difficult and we're having that memory and we're anxious because of that memory. But ultimately anxiety is an emotion, it's an internal state and it's sort of a sense in our body and in our mind that something is not quite right, that something's about to happen that is not going to be great. Well, or, so, so the way you're defining it is that we don't know the future so we can mm -hmm. never be quite sure what's around the corner. It may be getting fired, it may be dying, it may be winning the lottery. But exactly. It's, so how does that manifest itself? 
I mean, it manifests itself in a lot of the behaviors and thoughts that we get stuck in a lot of times, you know, although anxiety can be a really good and motivating thing, like my example, where you're working towards something that you really care about. I mean, of course, Olympic athletes are anxious, right? Of course, performers are anxious. Of course, the president is anxious before they take the stage at the inauguration, right? That anxiety theoretically passes where we get stuck is when we are continuously anxious, when we are continuously anticipating a threat. And that's the state that a lot of us find ourselves in. We get triggered. We are made to feel unsettled in our body. Our mind, again, goes to thought traps like, this is going to be bad. I feel bad. Therefore, things are going to be bad. I'm an imposter. I have to work extra hard on this project. Otherwise, everything will fail, right? We can get really stuck in thoughts or we resort to behaviors, which is really, really common, right? We reach for a drink after we've had a phone call that's really made us anxious. We reach for those Snickers bars right after the staff meeting that has made us really anxious. We control people or micromanage our teams when we're anxious. We act it out. And oftentimes what the science says is that we act out anxiety almost by habit. We don't think about it. And my challenge to readers is to understand how their anxiety is impacting them and then thinking, am I acting this out in a way that is benefiting me and my team? You, the language you use of empathy is one that also therapists use. Are you, are you in an odd kind of way importing the language of therapy into the corporate world and into our lives broadly? You're saying that we're all anxious and that's perfectly normal. I'm still not clear on whether really all of us are. And I'm also not clear on the boundary between anxiety and paranoia. It's one thing to occasionally worry if you're going to get fired. It's quite another to always think you're going to be fired. Well, that's right. And so we're not always anxious all the time, right? It passes. Some of us are anxious all the time, and that's called an anxiety disorder, and we need to get treatment for that. Is when that you... paranoia? I mean, is there another mm -mm, word for that? Not, not technically, no. Um, when you're anxious all the time, whether you have generalized anxiety disorder, or you may have panic, or you may have a phobia, you might be anxious all the time. And that is no way to live. If that is you, and that has been me, you need to get treatment because there is good treatment for that. But a lot of us are in a sort of mild, moderate, not mild, sorry, moderate anxious state where a lot of the day we feel anxious. We pick up the newspaper. We feel anxious. We read about layoffs. We feel anxious. There's a school shooting and we're leading a meeting and our kids are at school and we feel anxious. Right? But this comes back again to what we were talking about earlier and i'm not com I, I i take what you're saying and i think you're obviously absolutely right and you know way more about this than i do but the world was just as dangerous a place if not more dangerous 50 years ago there was more crime mm -hmm. uh, you talked about the blitz generation it seems as if something's changed where everyone feels anxiety all the time so for example a sh school shooting i mean it's obviously a catastrophe for anyone involved uh, but it becomes so personalized. The same was true of COVID. The same is true of layoffs. Anytime anyone reads any bad news, they personalize it. That wasn't always the case, was it? 
I, I can't work in generalities like that. I just don't know if well, that's you're true. Well, you're generalizing as well. You're, t you're saying that everyone's anxious, so you can't have it both I, ways. No, I'm not saying everyone's anxious. I'm saying that everyone through their life will experience anxiety and that many of us are anxious because when, I don't know about you, but I read about a school shooting and my kids are at school and I feel very helpless because I'm at work and my brain goes to an anxious place. I think that that's very common. So I'm not speaking about alls and always and were this and they weren't that, but I'm just acknowledging. Yeah, I mean, what I'm seeing, and it, maybe this is a generational thing, um, and, and, I, and I don't want to create universal laws anecdotally, but is there a generational quality here, uh, Maura, that younger people in particular seem more anxious, or is that just uh, an old person's idea? <laughs> that's a story that we're hearing it's something that actually worries me there is a lot of does data. it make you anxious no it doesn't make me anxious <laughs> um but it it makes me concerned for people both who are young and who aren't young because if we only allow younger generations to feel their feelings to have mental health literacy then that can creates an us versus them. And I hear this happening at work. I hear people of different generations who want to say, oh, younger people are just so anxious. I just want them to work. I just worked. Why can't they? And I simply patently don't believe that that's true because people of all ages get anxious. People of all generations get anxious. We may have learned the language differently. We may have been given permission to feel it or not differently. But I know a lot of older people who are very anxious and I myself am 46 years old. I'm not, I'm not a kid. So I think it's really important. And I, the workplace mental health movement, I think is getting this right that at all levels of the corporation or the organization, people feel anxiety. It's not just for the young even though there is data that social media in particular is driving high rates of anxiety. So let's, let's go back to the issue of leadership. Um, we've probably made everyone very anxious. You're even making me feel anxious more. And I'm not an easy person to be anxious, but you've, you've made me anxious. I'm going to have nightmares after this. Um, let's talk as you, as you suggest in the book about turning your greatest fears your biggest fears into your what you call your leadership superpower this sounds like magic a, a kind of uh, superpower like movie explain what you mean there's there's no magic involved um <laughs> when we can look at our fears when we can look at our scary feelings and understand them and take the teeth out of them we're not ruled by them they're not in charge of us. We have greater understanding. And again, we may not act out things that we don't feel like feeling. You know, it's very human not to want to feel uncomfortable. It's very human not to want to feel anxious. And so my ask and consideration and research and interviews suggest, and, and this makes a lot of sense because we love to talk about resiliency. We love to talk about coming through challenge on learning from the other side, is that if you're a person who carries anxiety, 
who finds yourself having a day where you're worrying a lot, when you isolate those worries and work on them, you're not ruled by worry anymore. And it's very freeing. What kind of leaders then are you looking for? It sounds as if you're turning leadership into a kind of therapy. What would happen to a Steve Jobs who was profoundly obnoxious and made everyone feel anxious at the best of times. I mean, even when he was trying to be nice, let alone when he was being a bully or an Elon Musk or, or some of these other uh, corporate leaders, particularly in Silicon Valley. I mean, that's really an interesting question, isn't it? What would happen? I don't we think- We wouldn't have the iPhone. We might not even be able to do this. I don't, I don't know that you have to be a bully to be a genius. You know, I think that Steve Jobs probably felt anxious a lot. I don't know. I didn't know the man. I think that there's a lot about the inner workings of people that we never know. And I've spoken to a lot of executives who came of age during a different era who have said to me, yeah, of course I was anxious. I just didn't tell anyone. I hid it. And I think maybe we're entering an era where we don't have to hide it. Tell me a little bit more about those executives who perhaps confess their anxiety to you. Is this almost, it, it sounds like a sort of a, a confessional experience or quality that they're not revealing it to the world, but they're say telling you or their therapist or others. I think it's confessional. I think it's integrating a piece of yourself into your story. I think that, you know, there's, I think storytelling heals and storytelling is how we change things and remove stigma. And there's a hell of a lot of stigma around mental illness in this country. And the more people who are willing to share their experiences, who are people who we admire and who are successful or who are just like us, the better. So with your reading of the world of this sort of deep anxiety, your leader, is there a difference between a leader and a therapist? Are they almost the same thing, a successful leader and a successful therapist? Well, a therapist can be a leader, but a therapist has a specific skill set. They are trained as a therapist. But aren't you almost turning leadership into a form of therapy, of dealing with anxiety, both their own and other people's? I think therapy is an excellent, excellent thing for leaders. I think that we accept coaching very broadly as an important bolster and help for leaders. And I actually think therapy is part of that toolkit. You know, I, I know that that may feel strange to a lot of people, but I think increasingly the, the sense of understanding yourself is becoming seen as a necessary ingredient. There's a billion dollar industry in it. So I don't think I'm saying anything radical. I'm just using words around it that people don't usually use like depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, bipolar disorder, ADHD, etc. You have in your book four bullets on helping both leaders and teams, in other words, people who lead and people who report to leaders. Perhaps, uh, actually there are five, perhaps you might talk briefly about each of these. Sure. Um, understanding and managing how anxiety shows up for you at work is a 
big piece of the book and it's a really important skill if you're feeling anxious. It is work and it's not a magic pill, but we talk and think about it. It's really trying to take a minute and think about and learn to identify what's triggering you, what's setting you off, whether that's a person, whether that's an environment, whether that's your email, many things trigger us at work. And really understanding why and how is important. Thinking about then how am I reacting? How do I react when I'm activated at work? Is it an automatic reaction? Do I get stuck in thought traps? Is it helping me or not? Is What's it- a thought trap? A thought trap is um, a cognitive distortion. This was coined um, by David Burns, who's a famous psychologist. And um, thought traps are automatic negative thoughts that become habitual. And we think them instantly, often when we're anxious, right? So a classic thought trap is what we talked about, catastrophizing, where you are met with a piece of information that makes you anxious, right? It makes you concerned. You may see that a division of your company has laid off a bunch of people, right? And your brain goes to a place almost instantly of, I'm next, And then what's going to happen? Am I going to be able to pay my rent? And then what's going to happen? Right? You're anxious. You go into the thought trap. It's not a choice to go into the thought trap. It's not considered thinking. It's reflexive. And um, Burns named many of these, and we go through them in the book, and then um, offer sort of therapeutic ways to counteract the thought trap and get your brain back from that dark place and make a more sort of informed, neutral decision. Like, I don't know that I'm going to get laid off. Can I look at some information? Maybe I should wait till the meeting. My performance has been good. Even if I do laid off, get laid off, I have these options, etc. Some of these conversations like sound like you're almost training a child. You're, you're training a child to reason to think the thing out. So somebody got laid off in the firm and you're saying to the child, well, it doesn't have to be you. It's not going to be you. Is there a, an educational quality here? Or, as if almost anxiety turns us into children and you as uh, the anxiety fighter are trying to transform them back into adults? I totally reject that notion, although it is important for kids to also, they also have these feelings. Um, a lot of people aren't in touch. They have been doing this for years and they don't have the language around it or the awareness, or they do know they do it and they don't know how to stop it. So um, while I appreciate you saying um, <laughs> that I talk like I'm talking to a child, I actually think it's really instructive. I'm not suggesting that that you are talking to a child. I'm saying that as a parent, it sounds like the kind of language I, at least, you maybe I wasn't a very good parent, used as a as as a parent, trying to point things out, trying to calm people down. Um, I think it's breaking apart things step by step, and that's helpful, especially when we're trying to change behavior or we're trying to shift patterns or sort of make 
front of mind what is habitual, right? Sort of breaking things down step by step is really helpful. It's been really helpful for me. And um, on my podcast, what is what listeners really appreciate is when leaders and experts do break things down so that I can feel like, oh, I can do this, right? Um, I think that we as humans, especially we get overloaded with information. And when a problem seems really big, it doesn't feel fixable. But when we break it down, it feels much more manageable. Are so, there models? We, we mentioned Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, who of course, uh, don't seem to fit into your model. Are there contemporary leaders in the corporate world, the political world, who uh, you think are uh, examples of what modern leaders should be like in terms of addressing anxiety? There are lots and lots of leaders these days who are talking about mental health and considering how serious it is. The thing that really brought me to my knees a couple of weeks ago was a video of the New Zealand Prime Minister, the outgoing New Zealand Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern. And, and she said, as she left in her final speech, I hope if I've shown you one thing, I've shown you that leaders can be uncertain, they can be anxious, they can be, and she went on to say all sorts of funny things, nerdy and this and that. And I thought that was really powerful because she was literally saying, and she's an incredibly popular voice. I'm not familiar with the intricacies of the New Zealand political system and but from a global perspective, she's a hugely influential voice. And her saying that has so much power because so many people, and they come to me, they say, I have an anxiety disorder. I worry that I don't have the right answer. I worry that I'm going to screw up. And for some reason, probably based on guys like Steve Jobs, they think that they can't be the CEO. And I just want to say that's bullshit. Uh, you mentioned Steve Jobs as a guy may not be a coincidence. A lot of the shows we've done on empathy and leadership, for example, with Susan McKenty Brady or with uh, female authorities, writers on leadership. You're obviously yourself uh, a female. Amara. Is there a gendered quality here? Is there a shift from sort of classically male styles of leadership and thinking about the world to a more female oriented one? There's a lot of literature on that, right? There's a lot of, I even took a class at Harvard about that, how the world is going to move towards a leadership style that is more associated with traditionally feminine values like empathy. I reject that. And on my show and in my book, I have as many men as I have women, because if only women are given permission to feel, that is toxic for everyone. Men have feelings. Men who are leaders may not be acculturated to be able to have those feelings except anger. And that's not good for anybody. So I, um, while I love women's leadership and I embrace a lot of the qualities that women may bring, I don't want this to be feminized. It is too feminized already. We have got to get emotion out of gender. What becomes of the men who don't have feelings then? Are they all the angry ones voting for Donald Trump? 
<laughs> that's above my pay grade, although I did used to be a political consultant. Well, you 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 talked about anger and the absence of feelings. Is it manifested maybe not in political terms, but more broadly in violence or hostility I mean, or depression if you don't feel, whether you're male or female? Yeah, because the feelings have to go somewhere, you know, and anger is an acceptable emotion for men in our culture, right? So many men show anxiety as anger. And I have a powerful story in my book and on my podcast from Jason Miller, who um, is is highly educated and, and worked in big four accounting. But his father growing up was a blue collar worker in a town that like many in the 70s and 80s, lost all its manufacturing jobs. And Jason rethought his childhood and his dad's experience through the lens of how his dad must have felt once Jason got in touch with how he felt working in consulting, working long hours, experiencing a panic attack so bad that it landed him in the hospital. And so I think there's a shift here. There is a generational shift. You know, I think men of younger generations, I hope, although violence and depression are escalating among, it seems, among a lot of these young men. I, I really hope that we give them emotional literacy. We did a show um, earlier in the week, as I said, with William Brewer, a writer, a novelist who just has a new book out, um, Red Arrow, about psychedelics. You just did a podcast on psychedelics what's the relationship and, and and in this podcast like many other people you're beginning to shall we say mainstream psychedelic drugs and thinking is there a role for medicine here in the anxious achiever or is or, or are you trying in the book and in your work and in your podcast to liberate people of pills and other other uh cruxes shall we say to anxiety Oh, I don't think pills are crutches. I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose you and I can't tell you what to do. Personally, medicines have helped me regulate and saved me. And so I am a big believer in getting the help you need, whatever form that takes you. I've interviewed people who have never taken meds and I have interviewed people who rely on their meds to function. And that's a personal choice. If people are finding that psychedelics are working for them, I'm all for it. What I want you to do is get help and talk about it. Finally, Maura, um, let's end here. Very interesting conversation. Um, as they say in diplomacy, a frank exchange of views. Uh, <laughs> Your book, your new book, which is out this week, congratulations, The Anxious Achiever, turn your biggest fears into your leadership superpower. As you've suggested, there's a great deal of anxiety around. Um, you have four or five key points in the book. We want people, of course, to read the, buy the book and read it. But where should people begin if, if they're not able to get the book? What would you suggest? Where would people start addressing their anxiety and translating or transforming that anxiety into better leadership qualities. I, I would love them to start 
with my podcast if they don't feel like reading the book. Well, the book and the podcast, I mean, that goes without saying, right? So people should listen to your podcast, The Anxious Achiever, as well as get your book, but, but, but more broadly. I want people to just think about the question, am I anxious? Do I feel anxious? And if I do feel anxious, which a lot of people, they know they feel anxious, what, what is the help that I need? You know, we're, we're often not great at getting help or taking time and it can be really expensive and really difficult to get help, but it can also be really transformative. And so if you're listening to this and you feel like my anxiety is getting in the way, then I want you to take it seriously and I want you to get help. And Maura, finally, finally, uh, for people listening or watching who don't feel anxious and are listening to you, should they be anxious about not being anxious? No, they should feel super glad, but someone in their life is anxious. <laughs>